Good morning, Foothill Church. My name is Alina. I serve on the worship team. Today's scripture is found in Exodus chapter 35, verses 20 through 29. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. So glad you guys are here this morning. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor's here. And... Um, if you are, uh, hey, first of all, let me just say a little shout out to the kids, uh, kids and parents, really. Thank you so much for engaging this way as we have a family service uh, this morning. Um, sometimes there's a little bit of a, like, are we doing this right? Like, are my kids too loud? Uh, let me just kind of put you at ease. Your kids are doing great, okay? So I, I hope that you guys can even just model what it looks like to be engaged in God's word as we um, open up the Bible together. Uh, but kids, glad to have you here. Parents, um, thank you for participating in this family service day as we uh, sit here together in church. Um, hey, just quick kind of just announcement for you guys to be aware of. You heard some things already about things coming up. Also, want to just let you know, May 29th at 5 p.m., we have another Sunday seminar coming up. Uh, these are opportunities for us to hear just kind of from outside our community, people who um, really have an expertise around certain areas. And so Jonathan Lehman, um, if you want to just even just look him up online, um, he's written extensively uh, just for, for help uh, around church issues, even like this. And so we're going to hear about how to love church members with different politics. And I know this has been a season where sometimes uh, we, we feel like, man, I don't even know how to engage uh, with my neighbors or my friends or maybe within the church itself. And so hopefully you guys can come and be equipped. Uh, this is not going to be a night where we, you know, state our politics and talk about that in regards to what's right, what's wrong, and all that stuff. It's more about how, how do we be equipped as a church as we discuss what it means to love people well um, who have different opinions than us. And so I know that we could probably all benefit from something like that. So I encourage you guys to be there, May 29th, 5 p.m. Uh, let's, let's be there together as we hear from Jonathan Lehman. All right, hey, well, this morning we are in Exodus 35, and um, Alina just read um, a, a portion of that chapter. Really what we're going to be doing is looking through this whole chapter, um, chapter 35, and looking at some themes that come up um, here right off the bat. And let me just kind of pull the bandit off uh, here to start. Uh, this week, as we consider this chapter in Exodus, one of the major applications that we read about here in scripture is how we spend our time and, and more importantly, how we spend our money. 
Uh, it really is calling us to a heart of giving, a heart of generosity. And, uh, you know, maybe that makes some of you nervous. Are you nervous? I hope not. Um, we're going to be fine, okay, as we consider what the Lord's word has to say. Look, our money, and specifically how we spend our money, is oftentimes such a blind spot in the life of a Christian, right? That this is an area sometimes that we don't, we don't talk about. In fact, if you ever want to make a, a conversation awkward really fast, you can just ask the question, hey, how much money do you make? This kind of feels a little bit like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to answer that, or like, that's none of your business, or, right? Like, uh, you can ask the question to your neighbor, how much credit card debt do you have? Right? Or, or how much did you give last year to Fiddle Church uh, through a tithe? These are, some, for some people, these are lines you just don't cross. You don't talk about money that way. We don't openly discuss how we spend our money. I remember my dad, um, for as much as we had great conversations growing up, one time, you know, I asked him, I said, Dad, what's your salary? How much do you, do you make a year? And uh, he kind of looked at me, and he was like, enough for you to have what you need, okay? Basically, a nice way of just saying, like, none of your business, right? And this is just kind of a, this line that we don't cross. And that's crazy, because in many ways, uh, when you don't talk about something openly, when you have these little cornered-off areas in your life, what, what, what that means is we oftentimes can't grow in those areas, we can't learn how to, how to grow in those areas, how to improve, how, how the gospel even affects those areas if we don't talk about them, of how we can learn from our mistakes. And so that's why I love that we preach uh, expository sermons here at church. No one's going to accuse me or, or Chris of slipping in the sermon about giving a year and a half into Exodus, right? That just, oh, they're playing the long game, all right, just to see how long they can go and then talk about money for a while. But as you walk through the Bible, methodically, you come across topics like this. And we must be faithful to address them. And as believers, we must grow in our generosity. And in fact, it is so important. It is so important that we do not behave like the rest of the world when it comes to our posture of giving. There must be a, a distinction when it comes to how do Christians engage when it comes to generosity and giving and money and how does the rest of the world look at those same things? And did you know that this has always been the case? That as, as Christians throughout history, when observing the Christian and the rest of the world, Christians have always looked radically different. In fact, 2,000 years ago, after Christ had been crucified and resurrected and about 40 years after the last apostle uh, dies, Christianity as a religion is overtaking the Roman Empire. And there's this guy named Diognatics, and he tells another guy who they're kind of doing research together. And he says, hey, go and do some R&D. Go do some research about how do these Christians live? How are they actually spending their, their time and their money and their relationships? How does that look? And so this man writes a letter back to Diognatics, and he says this. It's up here on the screen. For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country, nor language, nor customs, which they observe. In other words, there was a radical diversity that marked the early church. There are people that look differently across the board. They marry as do all others. They get children, but they do not destroy their offspring. Remember, the early church were radically pro-life in a culture where if you didn't want your baby, you could just expose them to the elements or just uh, abandon them, whatever you wanted to. But Christians were the ones who were going out into the streets and, and, and adopting orphans and, and caring for those who couldn't care for themselves. They have a common table, but not a common bed. The early church was known for a radical sex ethic. It was unbelievable that Christian men in Rome in the first and second century were 
were loving their, their, their wives, not treating them as a commodity, but serving their wives as Christ loved the church. And it finishes with this, and this is really what speaks to this morning's topic. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound. And all they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with other people. In other words, the, the early Christians were radically generous. And, and I, I believe that as believers, we ought to follow suit, that we, as we understand what scripture says about how we ought to live in light of the gospel, that, that there should be a change in us about how we spend our money and how we are radically generous to those around us. And so as we look at Exodus 35 this morning, you may have some kind of internal narratives about the church and money. I realize we kind of all do, right? We all have these assumptions. We all have these things that kind of go off in our mind when we talk about money in church. And you maybe have assumptions about what I'm about to ask of you or what the Bible says. But would you just do me a favor and simply just, just listen and, and engage with an open mind because there are some things here that are, are highly applicable to us as Christians and how the Israelites were generous and open-handed. And, and there may be some things we can learn here uh, in our own personal lives. And so, quick recap. The book of Exodus is a book about God saving his people out of slavery, and Moses has led them into the wilderness for a covenant purpose, meaning that there is, there's more to the story that we're gonna read for these Israelites. They are promised this, this, this land where they could really identify as a people and to see Yahweh as their God, to make a new covenant with these Israelites, affirming that they are a chosen people with a future full of hope. So that's kind of Exodus in a two-sentence like nutshell. Now, Exodus 35, they are now in the process of gathering materials, gathering supplies, and, and getting contributions uh, for the tabernacle. If you recall the last few chapters, we talked about the tabernacle. This is the, the place where the actual presence of God resided, where his presence was to be. And so chapters 35 to 39, there are a lot of details um, that we'll, we'll read and we'll discuss. But again, the, the big idea this morning, I want you to understand is this, is that God invites us, God invites you and I to give generously as a worshipful response to his grace. That's what I want you to see this morning is God invites, it's an invitation to give generously as an act of worship. And I'm convinced that so much of our fear and awkwardness about money and the church would be deflated if, if we as Christians understood the link between worship and generosity. That generosity ought to be fueled by worship. There's this, there's this link, and God invites us to be uh, generous as a response. And so let's look at some points here through 35. We're going to skip around a little bit, but here's the first thing I want you to see as we look at Exodus 35. Number one, by the way, there's five points for those of you guys who are, 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 are note takers. Uh, point number one, they gave out of the security of Sabbath rest. 
That's what we see the Israelites do. They gave out of security of Sabbath rest. We talked about the Sabbath quite a bit the last few years, last year or two here at Fiddle Church. In fact, it's kind of odd. If, you, if you've been kind of leading in with us and you, you noticed uh, kind of themes throughout our church, God has brought the Sabbath to us over and over again, oftentimes because of Exodus. But what we really see in chapter 35 is yet another reminder of the Sabbath principle. And so those first three verses remind us that God's people will be known uh, in relationship with God as a sign of that relationship that, that we work six days and we rest on the seventh. And so we have preached through this. Some of you have, have tried implementing the Sabbath principle. I encourage you to continue to do so. Many of us are still trying to work on that. But what I'm struck about here is that the, the timing and the order of this reminder to Sabbath that actually is before this call to generosity. So where does that seed of generosity begin? It, it's in the security of Sabbath rest. Let me remind you what Sabbath is. It's a gift. Sabbath is a gift. It's a deposit. It is a spiritual gospel asset. And what I mean by that is it's unique to the Christian faith compared to any other world religion, that we are not called to work our way up to God. That is antithetical to the gospel. We're we're not called to tirelessly grind every day of the week, but God in his kindness and in his understanding of what we need says, says go. Go one day and, and rest. Rest. Sabbath is the reminder that God has promised to take care of the Israelites and supply their every need. And so the Israelites do not stop working on the Sabbath because there's no more work to be done. Right? Uh, In fact, the exact opposite was true. Again, nomadic, ancient Near East culture. Survival for for this tribe was a day-to-day battle. And so cutting your work, cutting your production by one-seventh could mean life or death. And so what does that do? What fruit does that produce in the people of Israel? It produces faith. It produces faith that God provides when we are obedient to rest. And so the same for us, when we give financially, oftentimes we have a clearer picture of biblical generosity when that's fueled by Sabbath, when it's fueled by that principle of the Sabbath. God provides, and out of that security, God's people will give freely. That's the first thing we see here in Exodus 35. As we continue on, they start to contribute. And what you notice is that they all gave something. Men, women, children, they all gave something. One of the things that you see is that they all contributed something in some way. And maybe you've heard this idea before, as, as maybe in the church, maybe a, a conference or something, but we can kind of give of our time, our talent, or our treasure. Right? Those are some kind of categories in which we can be generous. And so let's lean on that a little bit. This is exactly what's described here in Exodus 35. So under point two, there's kind of three subpoints here. The first thing we see is the treasure. The treasure portion is obvious. And Moses actually spells it out here in no uncertain terms. He says, look, the building of the tabernacle will not be possible unless everybody contributes something. We see in verses four through nine, Read with me. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, 
for the ephod and for the breast piece. Believe it or not, I know this list is a little bit like, these are like valuable things, right? Uh, these are things that would be very valuable at the time. And you're like, why would we need these stones and scarlet yarns and so on and so forth, tanned ram skins? Well, these all had value. These all were contributions to the synagogue. Verse 22 says that the men and women brought brooches and earrings and rings and armlets. Again, these material objects held immense value when they were brought from Egypt into the desert. Let me say this clearly. I think there is a clear biblical case for contributing financially to the work of God. For us as believers, what we traditionally do is we lean on these ideas of, of offering and tithing. Maybe you've heard these phrases before. Maybe we've even uh, talked about that up here on a Sunday morning. And, and really, these ideas of offering and tithing, they're, they're ideas that are based off of kind of agrarian society. So an offering was kind of the best and the first fruits of a harvest, right? Not giving God the leftovers, not saying, God, whatever's left over, I'll tip that at the end. It's saying, what's best? What's ripest? What's most valuable? And, and you've heard of this idea of a tithe, which literally means a tenth. So it's not talking to, in what order do we give to God, but how much do we give? 10% of the crop. Now, these principles we see all throughout Scripture. But what I love about Exodus 35, listen, is the call not to a, a percent or a number. It's about a heart of generosity. That's what we see in Exodus 35. And I think this is what we are called to as well. Um, those of you who, who are kids here, or maybe you have kids, you've participated in this game before. I'll, I'll play this with my kids. It's not really a great game because there's not a winner or prizes or anything like that. But uh, if people are over, they make a mess, uh, kids are over, toys are out, I'll say, hey, kids, before we kind of move on to the next thing, I need everybody to grab 10 things and put them away. Right? Really simple. I have, I have four kids, and so they're all kind of running around. I'm not sure where the 10 comes from. It's just kind of this arbitrary thing. And I say, hey, go clean up. Uh, pick 10 things off the ground. Put them away. Ready, set, go. Now, where does the 10 come from? Why do I say 10? Do we have exactly 40 things? Right? Now, do we, well, 40 divided by four kids is, is 10, Right, I think that's right, right? Like Asian people doing live math in front of people is not my strong suit. But like, uh, they're, they're, it doesn't matter basically the number, right? It doesn't matter if we have 40 things or 100 things. The number doesn't matter. The number is a guide. It's a starting place of obedience. And so I, I love it when my kids participate in this game and they help out and everybody grabs things. But what I love even more is that they set aside the number and my, my, one of my kids realizes they don't have to pick up 10 things. They can actually pick up 12 things or 13 things, or 15 things. You know, and sometimes it happens, parents, right, where you like play this game and, like, and one kid steps up and says, you know what, I'll clean up the whole room. Pretty awesome. And it's because they understand the heart behind the exercise. They understand that it's not about the number of things, it's about serving the family. It's about being generous with our time and our giftings. And so Exodus 35 uh, doesn't say, and then everyone went to their tents and counted off 10 pieces of jewelry, and then Moses and Aaron counted everything up, and that was a worthy sacrifice. No, verse 5 says, whoever is of a generous heart. And so when you give, do you give with a generous heart? That's what we're called to do, not with a, a calculating mind, not with a, a knot in your stomach, worried that you're not going to do it right, or it's not enough, or it's too little, but we're called to give with a generous heart. 
Does this describe you, Christian? You know, we see this described in, uh, by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, each one, each person must give as they have decided in their hearts, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Paul, in the same way, he's appealing to the heart. He's saying, look, your emotions matter. Your joyful posture and financial giving matters. The way that you approach this as a worship offering, it matters. And remember, he's writing to the, the church in Corinth. And so, who, he, he, by the way, he's financially dependent on this church. And if there's anyone who has a right to say, hey, you guys owe me. Hey, I started this church. I'm discipling all of you. It would be the apostle Paul. But no, in godly wisdom, Paul knows that that approach, you, you owe me. Hey, pal, you owe me. Uh, it wouldn't last. It wouldn't stick. People would feel guilty, maybe give a little bit. But we realize our generosity must come from a heart that joyfully gives. The second point under this, this point is, is talent. Let's talk about talents for a second. Uh, many of you are very gifted, very talented people. I look around here, honestly, there's a lot of people we've even approached in the church about, hey, would you weigh in on this, this decision? Or, hey, would you contribute in some way when it comes to your talents and your abilities? And the same thing is true of Israelites. Verse 25 says this in Exodus 35. It says, every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun, and blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, and all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. There are some world-class women amongst this group of Israelites who are bringing their skills as generous worship. Look, I don't even know what it means to skillfully spin goat hair. I mean... To be honest, I don't know that was possible. Like, are we talking about the chin, the goat? Like, I'm not sure what that means. But the fact that this detail is mentioned in the Bible means it was probably legit. Like, they were good at that, whatever that is. And if you look at verse 10, you see these skilled craftsmen building the pillars and the arcs and the basins. You see Bezalel, who we talked about uh, a couple months before, in verse 30. And guys, Bezalel is a stud. He's this stone and woodcutter. And the Bible calls him skillful and intelligent at his craft. And so, listen, offering our talents to the Lord for his worship is a legitimate way that we can serve and be generous to the church body. And so, is this true of you? You know, I've lost track of how many, like, talent-based shows there are on TV. Like, there's probably a lot more than I, I know, even. But, like, I know, like, Americans Got Talent, or back in the day, it was American Idol, right? Like, all, for, to my understanding, all of these talent-based shows are still about one thing. They're still about showcasing your giftings and your abilities and your talent in order to receive notoriety, a contract, to win the show, whatever it is, right? That's the point. And, and what if church, what if we, we flip that and we realize our motivation should be to, be to use our gifts and talents for the edification of the church body? What if we were to be generous with our abilities? Some of you have an incredible skill set, and it's finally time, it's time for you to put that to work, not for yourself, but an offering of worship so that people would see Christ more clearly. The, the last kind of sub-point here is our time. I'll just make this comment. People are stopping their work. This takes effort, by the way, right? People are setting aside time to go to this job site, to go to the tabernacle, to see it be built, and they're spending their day, they're organizing their family calendar around this as an act of worship. Verse 21 in Exodus 35 says, they came. 
everyone whose heart stirred him. They showed up. They put it on a calendar and they dedicated effort to what God was doing. And I think sometimes we undersell what it means to simply show up in church community. This is a way that we can be generous with our, with our time. I've heard it described as the ministry of presence. And I, 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 we have to remember sometimes the greatest way that we can contribute is to set aside time and be there in person. There is something unique about when a Christian is embodied in a place as, as the presence of God is inside them, as, as they are acting on behalf of Christ to the people there. And so you may be asking, well, where are you talking about? Like, where would I, where would I show up? Well, wherever God wants to use our embodied Christian life. So maybe it's here on Sunday mornings, serving somewhere, serving kids ministry, serving on the worship team, serving behind the scenes somewhere. Maybe it's in a hospital room, a waiting room with someone from your growth group. Whatever it is, I know that in my life and likely your life too, we've all benefited from someone taking time aside and showing up. And this is one of the ways that we can give generously as an act of worship. Okay, let's zoom back out here. We got five, five points. We're now on point number three. Number three, they gave in response. The Israelites gave in response to a specific vision. This is really important because they're not just giving kind of willy-nilly. They're not just kind of like, all right, I'll cut show up and be generous generally. They, one of the ways God uses Moses was to put before the Israelites a very specific vision. They were supposed to build a tabernacle, this tent of meeting in the wilderness. This was a sacred space. This was the earthly vehicle of the work and the presence of God. This was a place of worship. This was a place of community. This was a place of, of biblical authority. This is a place where people's needs were, were being met and cared for. And that was the vision that was compelling. And the Israelites gave generously to that vision. So, uh, so this is important because, look, for us, that place is now a people, right? Sundays at Foothill Church are when the church of Jesus Christ gathers weekly to receive the word and to worship. And so we are the living tabernacle and through the Holy Spirit, we are God's, we, we, we have God's presence residing in us every moment. And so that means church, when you give to Foothill, when you give a tithe or an offering or, or you give uh, here or at any other local church, we are equipping the people of God to go and be the mission of God. And so what is that mission, you may wonder? Well, I'd start, first of all, with our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. That's our local expression of what it means to be on mission here at Foothill. I'd also point us to Matthew 28. Many of you know that, and it's very clear. And really, at the end of the day, for all the mission statements, you know, uh, some of you guys know I'm, I'm planning a church. Uh, in, in the next couple of months, we're starting off. You go through this process of choosing a mission statement, Every church really has the same mission statement, really, at the end of the day. And that's Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I hope it's clear that, that we at Foothill are not just haphazardly just doing ministry here at Foothill Church, doing ministry things. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with VBS, but what if we just kind of did VBS? And there's nothing wrong with, like, you know, women's ministry or men's ministry. What if we just kind of did these things because we felt like it? No, we, we do ministry work. We participate together in serving for the work of ministry because we believe that it's, it's, it's for the mission. 
It's for the mission to, to live out the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. That's why it's so great to celebrate these, these baptisms this weekend, to see the fruit of the labor of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And we see, oh my gosh, the Lord is at work. He's at work in his families and in these lives. And so that's why we call you to serve. That's why we call you into community and growth groups. That's why we call you to join Bible studies. That's why we encourage you parents to sit with your kids. You guys are doing a great job. It's awesome. And that's why we raise money to go and plant churches, to be on mission. And so every church has a local, as a local expression of faith, has a mission. And we are called to contribute to that vision. Two more points. Number, number four. Number four. The Israelites gave as the Spirit directed. The Israelites gave as the Spirit directed. Something that's important here that we see in Exodus 35 that is brought up um, often is amazing because it's the work of the Holy Spirit through the people of Israel. This is amazing. Verse 21 says, everyone whose spirit moved him. That's a spirit. That's a Holy Spirit. Verse 26 says that the women's hearts were stirred up. Verse 31 says that these workers, these skilled laborers were filled with the spirit of God. This is an important part of giving as a response of worship. It also assumes something. It assumes, Christian, that we are attentive to the Holy Spirit. Are you attentive to the Holy Spirit? In other words, there are some categories that we have to be made aware of. And I mentioned a couple before, but let me be specific and I'll use my own giving as, a, as an example. I, I've been giving in my adult life, as long as I've had a job, a, a tithe. Remember, that means a tenth, right? First fruits, that offering, a tithe, all my adult working life. And look, giving that uh, as, a, as a part of my kind of regular habits, uh, it's been an exercise in faithfulness. It's been an exercise in obedience. I've seen God work in awesome ways, teaching my wife and I to be reliant on him when I give uh, habitually like that. And I would encourage everybody who hears my voice right now, and I'm glad that there's kind of this diverse group of people here this morning, ages and, right, like, like we're all over the map. Some of you are looking for jobs. Uh, some of you are, you know, in between work. And I would just encourage everyone, especially teens and young adults, to get into the habit of this helpful structure of a tithe as soon as possible, right? God will meet you in that obedience. Now, that being said, to be honest, there are times that I forget that I'm tithing. There are, there are times because it comes out of my paycheck automatically. It's pragmatically helpful, but at times I have to fight to see that tithe as worship. And so the model of spirit-directed giving is something different. It's no less than a tithe, but it requires a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that we have to be aware of. And there will be times in life, Christian, maybe you've experienced this before, that you will feel with overwhelming clarity that God is calling me to give in a generous way. I have been the recipient, uh, and maybe you have too, of like just radical times where Christians have been generous to us. People have been generous to us. And there will be at times where we feel the spirit at work moving in our hearts to get behind something. And guess what? The Lord will bless you through that type of worshipful response. When we obey the spirit's leading, it's a reminder that we are invited into God's dynamic work. 
While this is generally not the norm, we have to plan for this. We have to ready our heart. Now, here, here's, here's what I'm, I'm thinking that maybe you're hearing me say. Um, you may think that giving according to the Spirit's leading means, all right, I'll just wait around and I'll just kind of wait until God speaks, maybe audibly even, right? Like, hey, give to this thing. Well, maybe, but let me just kind of throw out some additional initiative uh, to you. Here's an example, and it's kind of risky. If you're feeling risky spiritually, uh, I'd encourage you to do this, okay? Maybe tonight, maybe sometime this week, sit down with your, your friends, sit down with a spouse, sit down with family, or maybe your kids. Sit down with somebody or by yourself and list out the five most valuable material things in your life. Put them on paper, right? Whatever those five things are, we all have those things, right? I'm not talking about relationships or our salvation, or I'm talking about the five most valuable material things in your life. Maybe it's your car, Maybe it's your laptop, maybe it's your boat, maybe it's your house, you know, maybe it's a, a car collection, Pokemon cards, I don't, I don't know what it is. It could be anything, right? List these things out. And what I want you to do is, is pray over that list and say this. Pray this, God, you are the giver of all good gifts. And this all belongs to you anyway. Are you calling me to be radically generous in one of these areas? Maybe it's a no, but perhaps God through the Holy Spirit will ask you to open up your home to the stranger. Maybe God will call you to share that extra vehicle that's just kind of sitting in your garage with a family that needs a car. Who knows? But I encourage you, if you feel like being spiritually risky this week, make that list and allow the Holy Spirit to meet you in your generosity. Take the initiative and ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do when it comes to all the things that you have blessed me with, all the ways that you have given more than I need? The last point is this. Number five, they gave in response to God's grace. The Israelites gave in response to God's grace. And I believe this is the way that we ought to give as well. To bring us back to the big story of Exodus, God has shown his grace in immense ways to the people of Israel. He saved them for nearly 400 years of slavery. And if you recall chapter 34, the chapter right beforehand, the Israelites have proven themselves unfaithful. They have erected this golden calf and they have turned their worship from, from the rightful God, Yahweh, to the world. And there are consequences. Uh, people have died, but the vast majority of the group was spared. Moses appealed, God was merciful, and God would have had every right to destroy the Israelites for this betrayal. And they, they knew it. They knew that they deserved wrath and death for what happened in Exodus 34. And instead, they received mercy and grace. So in response to this grace, not, grace didn't happen afterwards. In response to this grace, these Israelites, one chapter later, in the shadow of forgiveness, are compelled to give as a response of worship. Now understand, that is not giving out of guilt. That's not, they're not trying to pay a debt. That would have been impossible for the Israelites to do. They gave out of worship. And here is where this meets you and I today. According to scripture, every one of us who has ever lived, every man, woman, and child who could hear my voice is also guilty of that same sin of idolatry, just like the Israelites. We worship idols every day. We worship money. We worship sex. We worship comfort. We worship things. We too deserve death. But we receive mercy and grace through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so let me just ask, do you know what you have been saved from? 
Are you even aware of the work done on your behalf? There should be a direct correlation for the believer who is aware of his or her sin to, to be free to give with radical generosity. Let me close with this passage in Luke 7. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. This is the story of a woman who anoints and cleans the feet of Jesus with precious oil. This is a story that's actually told in all four gospel accounts. But I want to show you the one in Luke because it really speaks with relevance to our response to grace. Uh, Luke 7, verse 36 says this, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house to recline at table. So Jesus is here in this house with the Pharisees uh, and his disciples. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not repay, he canceled the debt for both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she did not cease to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This oil that was talked about in Luke 7 and is discussed throughout all the gospels uh, it was apparently poured out over the feet of Jesus and it had this great cost. And this flask was worth probably 300 denarii, which would have been 300 days of wages. For the average Californian, I would equal to about $45,000. And this is certainly a family heirloom. It represented the financial security of that family. And so in other words, if something happened in that family or if something, someone got sick and couldn't, couldn't make money, they always had that alabaster flask for safety and security. And yet she took this valuable possession, broke it, and poured it out. In one extravagant display of love, this woman was telling Jesus, this is the most valuable thing that I have, and I give it to you. It's a response of worship. It's a response of generosity. It's a response because of the grace that she received, because she knew her sin, and that God graciously forgave it. And so, Fiddle Church, do you know that God has been gracious to you? Even though we are sinful, even though we have nothing in common with God, he chooses to invite us in in an act of radical hospitality into a life with him. He promises to, to, to heal our brokenness and our pain. We don't have to earn it. We didn't have to do anything to accept it. It's a free gift. And with that gift, God invites us to give generously as a worshipful response to grace. And so, listen, I realize that sometimes we don't feel like being generous. We don't feel like 
maybe giving to the church or giving your time, your talents. We don't feel like, like giving, giving generously. I would encourage you, if that is you, to remember rightly, to have your memory checked. Remember how God has been good to you, how he has forgiven you, how he has adopted you into his family as his own. Who are we to not be generous in response? Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. God, we, we thank you, Lord, for uh, this reminder. And, and God, I just ask that as we consider, consider your word to us, Lord, this morning, Lord, that we would find ourselves um, acting out of a spirit of generosity more often that the things that we held on to tightly, the things that maybe we even saw as, as most important in this life, Lord, would, would start to dim, dim and, and become uh, something that we don't even care about as much, Lord, that your glory, that your people, that our ability to, to bless people would, would grow and our desire to, to worship you would grow with it. God, help us to see um, what we have and how we can be generous rightly in the eyes of Scripture. God, we, we thank you for this time. We praise you in your name. Amen.